Thanks for joining us at Miniature Wargaming Labs uh, podcast. I'm James, and today I am joined by special guest uh, Carl. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hiya, uh, pl pleased to pleased to be with you today, James. Appreciate the invite. Uh, my name's Carl Titterington. I'm uh, a, a, living live in Britain. Uh, I, I write Contact Front, and uh, hopefully, I think that's what we're going to be talking to today about. So, yeah, thanks right. for having me on. Well. Appreciate it because um, I remember the buzz for Contact Front when it was coming out. I was on a trip, so I was sitting there in my hotel room, eleven o'clock at night, the day before, and I saw it was for sale, so I downloaded it and uh, found a very uh, interesting game space. And you know, that's something talk to you about, like how you design games and some of the choices you made in designing Contact Front. Um, but first, how did you get started in miniature wargaming? What was your origin story? <laughs> origin story uh not as good as wolverines I, I will say that um yeah so how did i get started i um it must have been about 2010 i'd uh, come out of the navy um and uh, got back to teaching um in my hometown um and uh, was working with a, a colleague of mine who has become a, a good friend um, he's, pr he's pretty well known in the uh, in the hobby so um uh, quick shout, shout out to Mark Backhouse, who writes for oh, yeah. WSS uh, and is currently working on uh, a set of ancient rules called Strength and Honor. Um, so yeah, he, uh, him, and I worked uh, in the same uh, department teaching history, and um, I think I'd, I'd only I hadn't been back in town for very long, um, and he said, "Oh, do you fancy coming uh, to the club? We're going to be playing a World War Two." Uh, game around US paratroopers, which I'd done a bit of reenactment for in the past, uh, doing uh, American uh, paratroopers during the Second World War, and uh, that caught my attention straight away. So, uh, yeah, went to the club, uh, played it, played the game, had a great time, met some really fantastic people, um, and really from there, sort of got the bug. I uh, just loved the idea that uh, it was it was thinking about strategy and tactics and uh, you know how you would use your forces um, to uh, complete objectives and things like that. Um, and uh, it, it was nice not to be the person running around being uh, not not that I've ever been shot at, but you know the person who, who who's on the ground actually. Um, uh, d doing the action but you could actually sit at a table of an evening uh, and have a drink and uh, so, some snacks and actually uh, do it in a civilized way but yeah that was uh, that was kind of how I got into it and it then became a bit of a, uh, a habit that I'd go every Thursday night to the club and we'd play various different games and you know some weeks it was World War Two, which certainly caught my attention but we then moved uh, around different historical periods playing different rules um, and it just just really grew from there you know i, I love history uh, in general so everything that sort of was on the table was fair game to me um and i i you know thoroughly enjoyed it and whether that was uh land battles sea battles air battles it was you know it was just great fun so yeah that's how i got into wargaming so you so where like say 28 millimeter world war ii you actually expand into different scales and like um uh, cruel seas stuff like that so you were interested yeah, in yeah. any type I, I i was interested in any type to be honest when we when i first started it was a case of um you know we, we as i said we played different rule sets we played different scales um i can remember playing 15 mil ancients um i think i've played six mil ancients um i'm now playing two mil ancients with mark um <laughs> so yeah just getting smaller now it's a bit concerning um but uh yeah it, I, to be honest i think um for me I'm, I'm not i've never really tried to box myself into a particular scale i i've spent periods of my hobby life for want of a better phrase where i have really focused on 28 mil and particularly world war ii um and then i've spent other times like now where i'm more focused on 20 mil figures but um i really do feel there's a there's a place for every scale and um you know two mil armies for ancients is just phenomenal mark's really opened my eyes to that um and, i know he pushes uh, that He's he does and, and, yeah. and to be fair i mean I, I i used his technique of building my own legion so I, I literally built them and i think it cost maybe you know 20p sort of thing is <laughs> less than a dollar you know less than a pound so uh, you know per unit which you, you barely find these days um uh, but then you know 28 mils 
really useful. Uh, I've got I've just picked up some of the Great Escape, uh, yeah, Great Escape games, uh, Plastic Cowboys that they've just brought out. So oh, yes, I'm really excited set. about. Yeah, yeah, I'm lo- looking forward to making those and seeing what I can do with them. And uh, you know, maybe there'll be a bit of Wild West on my gaming table soon. Um, my moderns, I really like twenty mil, um, fifteen mil. I don't really touch that as much as uh, the other scales, but um, uh, you know various there's various different um campaigns and, and stuff like uh english Civil war which i think would be really good in 15 mil um i think world war one might be quite good in 15 mil or even smaller 12 or 10 so um you know i think each scale's got its own place and uh and you know nothing's out of bounds for me really i'm quite happy to dig into anything <laughs> well that you bring up something that you know we've talked about on uh, the podcast before is the difference between um, the game club culture in uh, the United Kingdom versus the store-oriented culture in the U.S. So we have, I guess, more retail space, like bigger country, we can spread out some, <laughs> but we've never developed like game clubs the way I believe you guys have. Could you explain, like when you play games, you don't actually go to like, a games workshop and really play inside one you go to like church halls or something like that yeah uh, yeah i mean I'm, I'm very lucky in the sense that i i've i've had the opportunity to experience both um because i lived in america i've lived there three times now uh but the last time uh when i moved over to get married um i was living in kansas and and i was about an hour south of wichita um and that that was really the closest gaming area uh for me and it was out of a a game store just like you say um and i for me i never got up there and i I went up and i i met people who were playing games but actually getting up there on a regular basis was extremely difficult uh you know not having um really the time to go drive an hour to play a game that could take two three four hours and then drive back you know that that was a a good chunk of my weekend there um so i never really did that i did go to uh conventions so uh there's a chap in oklahoma called john russell uh we've we've had him on the channel before yeah there you go um so uh, i i went to i think two or three uh of the conventions he did down in Oklahoma city um and 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 got to experience the weekend uh sort of gaming experience at a con um which to be fair over here we don't have um so that was that was quite exciting and and quite interesting to experience um for me in my the town where i lived it was just a case of make some friends and then try to introduce them to uh wargaming and and for me at the time bolt action was an easy game to do uh do to do that with now is it my favorite game not any no, not really. Um, it, it's again got its purposes, and, and it you know some people absolutely love it. And that's great. Um, and again, it's got its place. For me, I w- I don't play it anymore. Uh, I've got other games that I go to now for my World War Two, uh, like like Battle Group. Um, but at the time, it was really a really useful tool, uh, a simple way to get people uh, into into the hobby. Uh, over this side, of course. We have a club, and like you say, we meet. We actually meet in a community center uh, once a week, which is fantastic. We've got uh, a good network of people that we can contact and say, right, you know, what's anybody playing this week? What do people fancy? And, and we will just chop and change, and um, and that's I I really enjoy that because you know if you can't make it, it's not the end of the world. There's always next week. Um, whereas I think in in the US, uh, you know. If you're not doing something weekly like a like a game store if you've got to wait for a, a convention and then you can't make it for whatever reason maybe a work commitment then you might miss out for quite some time before you you have an opportunity to to play games again so um i think you know there's obviously positives and negatives to both uh but uh, yeah over here as i say we, we meet in a, a community hall um lots of different tables set up lots of different people playing lots of different games um so in terms of exposure to different rule sets i think that's really promising it's um obviously warlord games is a big company over here um, or gw any of those but um you know sometimes you 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 can if you you focus on one of those and play all of their rules sometimes you can miss some i think some gems uh which are, are out there that 
don't necessarily belong to those companies. So I think the club scene here is, is quite good for finding some of those gems. Well, you know, that that's something I figured I could ask you about, and especially now that I know you've, you've played in both settings there. It's because I found in the U.S., um, finding people that play multiple war games, especially smaller games like Contact Front. Um, so in the U.S., since the guy's got to pay for his square footage of his store, he put the store owner's have to push certain games that are going to keep you bringing back and spending money so he can keep the doors open where in the UK it's more of like a selection, like someone champions a, Hey, let's play seven uh, TV. Um, I'll bring the models. And so it seems to encourage you to um, take the buffet choice of playing more games because you can be introduced to them. Um, and of course I wanted to ask you about that because I've noticed that the, UK seems to be really a center of like new games, small game designs. And in my, my theory here is that it's because you have that club culture of you're exposed to so many games. So when you say, you know what, I want to tweak something or this doesn't meet the need, let me write my own game to fill that. Where in the US, um, it's like, well, you have, you walk into a store and normally the big three are bolt action, battlefront and games workshop because mm -hmm. those have the constant feed of product that keeps you coming back to buy the next expansion, which is what store owners want. They just don't want you to buy your Osprey game book, like Lion Rampant, and like one set of Fire Forge, and you never buy anything ever again. Yeah, I, I, th I think there's a couple of things that, that go into it. I mean, uh, with those bigger companies, they have the ability to send to shops a uh, large amount of stock um, at a reasonable price that, that that means that then the retailers can sell it and, and make a profit. I think some of the smaller companies, and we were talking about Elheim uh, before we came on, he's a great example. It's sort of a one-man uh, band uh, in his garden shed. And I do apologize, Matt. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's a much better setup than that. Uh, I'm just simplifying it. But, but essentially, you do have a lot of those smaller companies, I think, over here um, that... Uh, they don't you know not all of them even have websites uh, i know of a, a company i think they've got a website now but a lot of it still you know you get on the end of the phone and sort of you know tell him what you want and he sort of puts it through and and then sends it or you wait and catch him at a show um and and our shows tend to be maybe one day maybe two days over a weekend uh if we're lucky um and so I think that comes into it. obviously uh, in, in America, your game store owner wants to be pushing products. So if they've got a game that is being played, uh, that is from one of these big companies and they stock all the models and the paints, it's sort of a, you know, a, a one-stop shop, sorry, one shop stop. And, and you, you know, you kind of go and you, you buy all the stuff for that game and, and it's, it, it's certainly the, the games workshop model of, uh, of, of i don't know hobby selling or wargaming selling um but i also think the other thing of course is over here um a lot of wargaming started here you know it's nottingham was sort of the heart of the of the industry and so i think a lot of the games and a lot of the companies are based over here anyway and so you you do get a natural sort of um kind of games and stuff popping up over here that doesn't mean that there's not people in america who are writing games um but i think over in america they are more spread out they're almost a bit more diluted because you've got such a big country with such a big population uh, your ratio of war gamers to non-war gamers is probably much um uh, smaller than it than it is over here so i i think that probably works against you a little bit over there but um i don't think that makes the hobby any less exciting or interesting and i think um, you know, somebody like Joe Veltri is, is a great example of uh, somebody in America who's decided there was a gap in the market and wanted to take it, you know, try his hand at writing War Games rules and did and has written some great rule sets. So um, uh, I'm not on commission, by the way, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, so let me ask you, when did the idea of Contact Front come to you? Like, when were you out there saying, you know what, I could really use a rule set to play invasion of afghanistan early occupation 
that's a good question when did it come to me it was 2017 i just got back into uh the uk um we were sort of transitioning uh moving back from america to the uk to live um and i was talking to um a friend of mine uh from ireland uh and another friend of mine from just up the road from me and we were sort of throwing around ideas and um we sort of talked about a, a skirmish game for the modern era um, and it kind of just developed from there. And um, I think uh, Spectre hadn't been out for very long um, at that point. I didn't really like the idea of controlling individuals on the table. So I wanted something a bit more than a squad level game. I wanted a platoon level game. Um, and I was very keen to touch on my experiences of being in the army and, and how I, uh, we i'd been trained when i was in so it was things like oh, actually you don't move as individuals you move as your smallest units your fire team uh which uh you, know, you have two fire teams in a section so i wanted to look at it very much like that and um and yeah it just kind of grew from there and I, it got me thinking well you know what sort of angle do i want to take on this because every game has its own angle of of how it looks at warfare and um you know what it thinks is important and, and what it wants to push to the forefront um for me um kind of casualties and and, and as a leader a platoon commander getting your guys home at being just as important as your objective at times i wanted to push that so that was kind of um i guess the start of contact front and then from there it just kind of developed and grew I'd like to say organically, but there's probably a lot of times when I sat there trying to write something out and make it really good. And then I looked at it the next day and thought, no, that's rubbish. Throw that away. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that that's interesting because when you think about how long you've been playing, it's a very short amount of time. And from, you know, ignition of concept, uh, for anyone who's done cyclic program development, like from lust to dust, like very quick from 2017 to when you actually uh, released the game, of being yeah. able to like actually find someone to put it out for you so i yeah i, I realize now I, that the the publisher is in the u.s so it's actually a u.s <laughs> company i'm just not used to that seeing a yeah. u.s war games uh rule developer yeah i mean to be honest if i had to go back and do it again there would definitely be things i would change uh i would get a lot more get um a lot more playtesting done than was done um and and certainly since its release we have gone back and gone oh, actually yeah that doesn't quite work or oh, we missed this out we actually probably should have put that in so there have been some um i think there's, there's some errata not a lot but uh, there is some out there and i have it's like anytime you publish something you think you've read through it a million times you you found all the mistakes you publish it you look at it the first time you find a mistake so um i don't think you'll ever get all the mistakes out but yeah there's there's um definitely things i'd go back and do again but uh yeah i um i'm trying trying to remember your question now <laughs> well just how quickly it went um because that that's actually pretty impressive because most of the stories i hear is like you know i brought a game i made a game because there's something i missed in the market bring it to my club and that's normally where the games begin end and die it's at the local yeah. club level but for somehow you were able to like trip over and say, okay, well, someone's actually going to take this and do the PDF layouts and, you know, send it to the printer or like the PDF copy. Yeah. So that's actually the more interesting part of where, you know, you cross the valley of death of where most games <laughs> die before they hit the wider public. Yeah. I mean, I started off, I, I was in conversation with one particular company that was a UK based company. Um, I, I won't mention any names because uh, I don't want to sort of. <laughs> uh you know put anybody uh out there but um i uh, we we were in discussion it for me there wasn't um i didn't feel like uh contact front was necessarily a priority for that company in terms of moving it forward um and then then looking at some of the other things they were creating not bad games but they didn't really fit with the uh, i guess ethos is probably not the right word but for me i had an idea of what i wanted my game to be like and 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 in terms of moving continuing with it the development of it and what i wanted to do with it and having looked at the games that that company had created i didn't feel that those two matched up not to say that what they are doing 
isn't good because actually they're quite successful so you know <laughs> maybe that's where i went wrong well i didn't know them. but um at the same time then um or, or just after that um while I was sort of um and ah and what to do with it, uh, Joe Veltri got in touch with me, or, or we started talking somehow, and um, he sort of spoke to me and said, "Well, you know, I'm, I'm looking at. They, I think they just published Sons of Mars. They were starting to work um, on Stephen Steed, and he sort of suggested, you know, would I be, you know, if I was interested, they would be um, keen to to take contact front on." Um, as sort of another title in their library of uh, games that they were putting out. So after a lot of discussion with him um, and his business partner at the time, um, I decided, yep, it was a, it was a good fit. And the, the way they were doing their games fitted with the way I wanted Contact Front to go. Um, so it, it, in terms of that, it was, it was more about the general picture rather than specifically about how uh, Contact Front was going to be... Um, turn out in, in in a way if that makes any sense that's no, what I've that, well, i think the idea is like um i've seen there's plenty of companies let's just say osprey they yeah. they won't die if i give them like but they'll <laughs> like their blue book series i love because 15 bucks but once they publish that blue book like the first round of printing that's it it's done time mm. to move on to the next game yeah now joseph mccullough can break that mold and like they'll come out with the releases but i mean if you want a game to like grow in a certain direction and get expansions, there's that, I don't know, maybe you can correct me, but there's that trade-off between the creator of the product and the publisher of the product, because if the publisher doesn't see the pathway to like long-term support, that could just like, you know, strangle uh, the game right there. And it will just become a one and done release. And like, you know, yeah. 20 years from now, remember that game? Let's dust off that book. <laughs> yeah. No, the fun, I mean, that, that's, that's it. That's exactly it. I think Osprey is a great example. I mean, they do release some great games, but for me, putting a rule set out there and then saying, right, that's it. I'm done. I'm going to walk away from this. It, it didn't feel right to me. And certainly when Joe and I spoke, uh, he made it very clear that was not what he was intending to do with any of his rule sets and, and certainly uh, didn't want Contact Front to be that either, which just married up with my ideas on it perfectly. So that's that's sort of how we ended up getting into partnership on it. And, and Joe is great in terms of the support. Um, you know, nothing was too much trouble. And his design work that he did on the book was brilliant. Um, I think he taught himself how to do it, but, you know, he, he, he did a great job. Um, in fact, our shamelessly just plug it uh it actually looks just like that <laughs> my lovely hard copy um and and we sort of went from there and uh yeah uh, it, it was great from working with joe because it uh, he would challenge me in, in in things that i hadn't thought about so whether it was about layout or whether it was about content um sometimes it would just be a simple question of why are you doing it like that what <laughs> you know and, and that's probably the hardest question that he ever asked me was why and sometimes the answer was i don't know so then it was go away and think about why are you doing that what is it that you're attempting to do because it might be that actually the, the the idea is a good idea but you need to have a good understanding why you want to do that because otherwise it falls apart quite quickly once challenged so um you know joe taught me a lot about writing rules that i hadn't i didn't know before um and this is my first set of rules in the sense that this is the first set that's ever been published, but I did have a go at writing a set of rules before for, um, it was a naval warfare uh, game um, looking at Somali pirates and, and trying to uh, capture uh, container ships and things like that whilst uh, the Royal Navy were, um, would then engage and, and, and stop that. Um, I, I never really got out there for playtesting. It was something I tried myself. I thought, mm, yeah, okay. Uh, it, it's taught me a lot about uh, some basic mechanics and stuff like that. So it was, um, it was a, it was, yeah, it, it was a bit of a, a fail to start with, but uh, I think contact front sort of benefited from that in some ways uh, because I understood That's things like actually idea. scale. That's interesting. Yeah. Eastern horror in Africa, maritime. Yeah. I mean, you can run any, anything for French, Dutch, British, American, Chinese, Japanese. Yep. And I was using the triangle. Have you, have you seen the triangle models? No. 
Uh, there's a company called Triang, and they do a bunch of uh, metal diecast ships uh, pre-painted. So all I did was stick it on a base and, and make some waves. Uh, but it was, you know, it, but it taught me things like you know actually the scale of conflict. So you know, um, for example, in contact front, you don't worry about um, uh, the difference in one type of rifle from another because actually, at the scale of fight we're talking about it's a rifle at the end of the day it's an, it's an assault rifle so um, i know some people have criticized contact front for not having that level of detail but but in terms of the actual conflict it doesn't really affect it very much um whether one rifle shoots roughly the same as another rifle if that makes sense um so i learned those sort of things from doing that somali pirates game well okay so let, let's talk about that because i i I believe in my one YouTube where Brian and I on the show, we talked about the difference in sniper weapon systems on there. So um, yes, I, I noticed that um, <laughs> we'll avoid that topic. So when you were laying out the rules, one of the things that caught me was, I don't think I've ever seen like that type of conversational style of like, yeah. um, I don't know what your version of officer, officer candidate school is, but it seemed like, um, the idea was that you'd sit down with the book on your left, have your models on the right, and then the sergeant in the book would walk you through, okay, now move the squad forward. So I was like, I don't know where your training base is out there, but when like the, the staff's, uh, the gunnery sergeant that instructor happens. comes out there and says, yeah. okay, lieutenant, now take the squad of other baby lieutenants yeah. and move them across the field. So it seemed like, okay, that's an interesting approach. I, of course, I wasn't prepared for that. So it's like, <laughs> when am I going to hit the rules? <laughs> like, oh, wait, yeah. these are the rules. Yeah. And then, and a lot of people, a lot of people have said that. And, and, and the thing is, it, it's, I don't, you don't have Marmite over there, but we, we have Marmite. It's this uh, sort of. I've heard vegetable. of it. Yeah. And, and the, the slogan is you either love it or hate it. And, and I think in a way, contact front and the way I wrote it sort of has that a little bit in the sense that some people absolutely hate the way i've done it they just they just want the rules laid out like most other rule books and other people absolutely love it and i have to say it's completely selfish the reason i wrote it like that um i'm dyslexic myself um and so sitting down and write and reading uh, a cover to cover rule book there's there's nothing i hate more um and it it generally de demotivates me I, I find that I get maybe a few pages in um, and, and because it's sometimes it can be quite dry uh, reading a rule book. It's not like reading a story or a history book. Um, then I find I, I, I don't follow it and I don't really understand it. And, and actually for me, the way I learn is to put the models on the table and give it a go. And once I've had a f two or three turns of something, I often pick up the core mechanics quickly. Uh, Chain of commands, a great example. I've, attempted to read the rule book and i found that actually getting to the club and playing it uh half a dozen times has meant that i i understand the rules a lot better so when it came to writing contact front it was all about uh my own selfishness i wanted a, a rule book that i could read and sort of enjoy reading but also taking what was going on um and it and in that sense of actually you could have your models by the side and you could just walk through it that for me it was that sort of sense of i'm going to do this and kinetically learn uh where um other rule books it's more just a a, a visual learnings um uh, yeah just reading basically i think i think it was a good choice because especially when i saw contact front I said this, this would be great for new players just for that reason and honestly games workshop has gone to that for but in eighth edition, they had that, that first strike box set. So they gave you a little fold-out map. You turn the box into a piece of terrain. They gave you like three reavers and some box walkers. And then they actually had like little numbers drawn down there. Say, so, okay, now move the reavers here. So it's like if if the 800-pound gorilla in the industry has chosen to go, on that, go that route, I mean, it may, there must be a reason, like, they looked at yeah. the marketplace and said, "We've got to write it this way so people can pick it up." Yeah, I, and I, I think I think it's I don't know whether it's a generational thing or it's just a trend in the way things are going, but I, I suspect that there's a lot of people, uh, certainly with the younger crowd these days, that either don't have the time or don't have the um, I don't know the, the the sort of intent to actually sit down of an evening and read a rule book 
cover to cover and maybe do that two or three times to really get hold of the rules. Whereas some of the players that I play with who, with the greatest respect, are uh, older, uh, older generation, they're quite happy to sit down and read it cover to cover and and understand it. Um, So I think, you know, in terms of of marketing, there are probably, uh, you know, the attempt to try and bring in new players into the hobby um, and a a younger uh, audience into the hobby probably is leading to um, a change in uh, direction or a change in style as to how people are going to firstly get into it. I mean, you see it with um, things like Warlord where they're doing uh, these lovely box sets that have both sides. They have the dice. It's everything in one. Um, Little Wars have done it recently with their their cowboy game. Um, Very simple set of rules. I think it's one side of, of paper. Um, you get a box with all the models that you need, all the, you, you get a ruler or a, a tape measure, you get your dice, you get some terrain, and, and they're essentially trying to give you that game in a box and say, off you go, you don't need to do anything more. Whereas uh, what I learned at the club was that there's a lot of different people out there who make models, and actually you can go and find the ones you like and which poses you like, and you can mix and match, and you can look for different paints, and you know, and and so I think there's um, almost sort of uh, well, there's many way, different ways of doing the hobby, but I think you know there's, there seems to be almost this generational split where there's the sort of the old way of gaming and, and the sort of newer generation are having their way of doing it and neither is wrong or right it's just you know the way people do things differently well so that, that's a good point so when went through contact front in us we would call this a beer and pretzels game be just because <laughs> of the conversational layout that you put there and um there are some vagueness in certain parts of the rules but it's like if it's just you and a friend it's not even going to come up so for those in like the podcast and you can't see it, but like it is not infinity and four and it is not Warhammer 40 K or age of Sigmar of where the idea is those books are written for tournaments. I mean, we can be completely honest. That is for mean people who go to tournaments and have nothing better in their life to start fights. Um, even though they have no training in legal and don't know what certain conjunctions mean when paired together. Um, <laughs> but so you wrote Contact Front as a friendly game. So, I mean, did you consciously set out and say, you know what, I don't intend this to be played in a tournament? Yes, absolutely. That uh, Wholeheartedly, I can absolutely admit I had no intention of writing a tournament game. And there's various different reasons for that. I, being Having started in a club setting, I did see players who were tournament players and I have played a few players who are tournament players. And considering that a Thursday night is a very social night for me, it's go out, have a, have a beer. We have nuts rather than pretzels, but, <laughs> um, you know, and, and you, you're having a game and it's all for fun. And, and it doesn't really matter who wins or loses, in my opinion. It's just, you know, you've had a good laugh and you've used your brain for a few hours and you've gone home uh, a little bit happier than, than, than when you left. So um, for me... That was the main reason. I also find with tournament rules, you have to be very good uh, and very accurate in terms of what you're writing, and you have to play test it extremely well um, to make sure that you've worked out every possible scenario. And and because people will, uh, I think you mentioned it actually on the review about how you could sit down and try to break a set of rules, and there are people who will go out and, and try to do that, and that's good. I didn't really want to come across those people <laughs> if I'm completely honest. And I, I just knew that I didn't have the ability or the, the skill level required to write a tournament set of rules. Um, and it just doesn't appeal to me to be quite honest, but you know, some people love it and, and that's fine. That's their hobby and they can, you know, they, they can indulge in that. But yeah, I did notice that, you know, pl- playing in America, there were a lot of games that were angled towards tournaments like bolt action uh, from a historical point of view. Um, and interestingly, I, I think I'd rather play a game of Black Powder or Hell Caesar because actually they're not designed for tournaments. And um, sometimes, like you said, you, you have those situations where, you know, it, it just means that you and your, your friend that you're playing have to have a little conversation and agree on the outcome of something. And I, I like that. It's sort of the gentleman's side of wargaming, uh, for want of a better phrase. Well, so... I think something we should point about uh, Contact Front is what I noticed is that 
when you design the rules, there's actually two parts. So there's the front part, the actual mechanics, the rules yep. of how to move a squad in a platoon organized uh, game. And then there's what makes it unique to Afghanistan. Um, so the campaign section of it. Uh, so there, I'd say, there's your rules up front, and that's pretty much just five pages, honestly, from when I counted it out. Of like, the <laughs> move, really shoot, more, yeah. yeah, turn sequence. Yeah. Okay. Then it's yeah. like, then there's the special rules of engagement that explain like how to the asymmetries between a Western NATO task force and the Taliban and like scoring points. And then what I thought was like the genius part of the game was the campaign system. Because I'll be honest, the idea of like the grid layout and then each table you're battling for is just a different patrol area around the fob. Um, I thought like that's a really good way to take it. So I, I could literally go to Google uh, Maps, like just pick some place in Helmand province or even a major city if I wanted to and just say, well, you know, all the grids are inside Kandahar. Yeah. And like, I'm just going to go block from block trying to pacify my district. Um, yeah. So it seemed like where you're putting it, the, the complexity wasn't on the actual fighting. The complexity was on the campaign of like, how can you and I try to outwit each other over the long haul? Yeah. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, if I had to sort of sum up Contact Front and what makes it special for me, it's because it's a game about narrative. It's all about the story. And it's whether it's the story about just the game you're playing on that night or whether it's the story that you're playing over the next two months uh you know with with a, a weekly game um for me the the story is the bit that really excites me about wargaming it's you know what it what does my actions today and how uh, how does that impact what's going on in the grand scheme of things and and, and our particular little story and uh, often the games that i'm playing are, are narrative driven uh, battle group is a prime example of it yeah i mean it's got points to it and you know obviously but the main idea behind the rule is that you have this narrative of what's going on and uh, you, you you've only got one platoon against another platoon perhaps but but that in itself is a little story within a bigger story so for me it was always the narrative um the campaign system does that i think uh, it gives you the opportunity and i think that can be used in with with any of the supplements um that that we will be bringing out um and i think you, know, you could probably take that campaign and use it with any game to be honest i just really like the idea that you know you, you could you'd have a map which you agree on with your with your gaming buddy and you you know you look at it and go right i want uh if each square is a two foot by two foot bit of the table then i'm going to pick you know maybe the this three by those two you know so we've got a six there's my six by four table uh, and, you know, you can lay it out and, and then you can, you know, shift it or you can pick a different area altogether. And, uh, yeah, it was, I don't know where it, came, where it came from or, or, you know, whether I was struck by lightning one day and that, that came to me. But, you know, I, 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 think, I think it's one of the better parts of the, the game. And I think it's certainly one of the bits I'm most proud about. So, well, I, so let's talk about where you could take contact from, because I think a lot of people realize that since the, the section of the rules, rules of engagement, allows you to like balance um, forces that are asymmetric. So in the real world, we know that uh, a NATO organized force or the old Warsaw Pact forces would just tear through some of these um, small like Taliban groups in a straight head-to-head -head fight. It's just, mm. they don't have access to 155 millimeter howitzers or Hellfire missiles. So it's yeah. like, if we met in like the plains of like outside Verdun, I would mop the floor with you, but in the yeah. campaign system and the rules of engagement, the, the victory points are different. They're skewed. Yeah. And that's what creates it. So I could do Kigali um, and do a chapter seven UN peacekeeping mission, you know, um, Belgians versus, you know, uh, Hutu rebels, yeah. um, Syria now. But when you were looking at expanding like the, so after contact front, you did special forces. What were yeah. you looking to add to the game by introducing the special forces supplement? Oh, that's a good question. Um, different models. I mean, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was just trying to sell more metal models for uh, Matt Elheim. Now, no, um, I mean, if we can just very quickly pop back a second, cause I think you hit sure. on a really good point with the whole asymmetric warfare, because that, that was one of the biggest challenges 
uh, in the first place. Um, lots of games have, have, have tried to replicate it or, or represent it. Um, and I think quite often the thing that I noticed about most modern games was that, um, generally speaking, uh, I can't remember whether it was... Oh, no, some one of my playtesters actually uh, earlier said, you know, what's the ratio of uh, NATO troops to uh, insurgents? Uh, is it one to two? Is it one to three? Because quite often these games... The insurgents, because they haven't got the, you know, that head-to-head, they really would lose. Most give them extra people to try and make up for that lack of superiority. So it's more of a, it's a numbers game for them. And when I was thinking about it and doing reading, that's not the impression that I got of what happens in Afghanistan. So for me, it was, they don't have a huge number. It's, it's not a, a massive difference in terms of numbers, uh, if anything, sometimes actually I would say the NATO forces might have more, but but actually the insurgents are using different tactics. So what I wanted to do was create uh, the asymmetric warfare in terms of the, the tactical side of it. So you, your Taliban in contact front have uh, little um, hidden entrances on the table. So whether that's, uh, I think we call them uh, tunnel entrances, um, uh, you know, things like that. We have car bombers, suicide bombers. We have the rules of engagement, like you say, which really means that uh, NATO forces can't engage until they've been shot at, um, which, you know, you, you have over there and it causes massive problems for NATO troops because sometimes, um, you know, m my best mate's been out there twice and he said, you know, sometimes it's you, you have situations where um, you have somebody in the field shooting at you and they put down that gun and get back to their farming before uh, they they can call in the jets for support um, because then that person is no longer a, a combatant. They're just, you know, they've got no weapon. And so the rules of engagement can be very challenging. Uh, please don't quote me on that example. I'm sure, it, you know, it, it, <laughs> it's sort of a, a rough, rough summary. But but I felt that that was a really part important part of, of modern warfare and that should be represented so i worked quite hard in trying to balance the game but in a different way so rather than a numbers uh way of balancing it was about how could you give them tactics that meant they had a good chance winning i think actually in the end what i did was create a game where if you're the nato forces it's actually really hard to win and i suppose looking at the news over the last 20 years since we've been in afghanistan actually that's that's probably not too you know far from the truth i think you know if if it's not the actual uh number of casualties it's about the media and how they're reporting it so there's always that element of nato forces western forces yes they're having tactical victories but sometimes it actually doesn't always feel like it because of maybe the media coverage or the fact that more people are dying in a war that some people don't think we should be in so i think when you put all that together I think Contact Front almost paints like a fairly good picture. And again, it comes back to that narrative. You might have just won, but you've just scraped a victory against the Taliban. And actually, in that bigger picture, maybe maybe the media have reported that a bit badly and, and that victory was not as uh, as exciting or as positive a thing as um, as, as the, the game might have um, suggested. Also, in, in the game you lay out, like there's not really scenarios, but mission objectives. And each force has different mission objectives and they're secret from each other. So when I looked at it, you know, when you're playing on that grid map, um, there's a way that's determined whether the NATO force or the Taliban force gets to pick the place of engagement. Looking at the rules is like, well, I'm never fighting in a city voluntarily because yeah. of the crowd hiding rule. And yeah. like, uh, if I shoot into a crowd, I'm going to yeah. lose the victory points. So it, it sets up that statement of, well, if you're Taliban, well, I'm definitely, anytime I get a chance, I'm fighting in the city because yeah. I know that you're not going to score points. Yeah. So it, it actually, you'd actually create situations of where, so I haven't gotten a chance to play a game, but looking at the rules come a situation of where the best course of action is to do nothing. So I could actually yield the round. Like if I'm Taliban and on say, you know what? I'm not going to fight you because I want to husband my forces, but I am going to select a whole bunch of suicide bombers and just run them straight at you guys. And I know you're going to lose the victory points because you can't take casualties where I can, yeah. where I, as the NATO force can say, okay, well, I'm going to sit back 
but I'm going to deploy sniper teams and M1 Abrams, and I'm just going to punish you for those victory points. I'm going to create a Pyrrhic victory for you. It is harder on the NATO side to create that Pyrrhic <laughs> victory for the Taliban than the other yeah. way around. I think, I mean, again, what I was trying to do was, uh, you know, to put the player in that platoon commander's role and, and to say to them, right, you know, you, you roll for your support points. So that tells you immediately what you can take with you. You've got your base platoon, but then you've got a certain amount of platoon uh, so support points to use. And what I wanted to try to get the player to do was to think, to think, right, what can I take in terms of support? What objectives could I take? So I'm going to pick objectives that I can then hopefully achieve because actually I've got enough support points to do that or vice versa. Actually, I haven't got enough support points to do much. So I'm going to pick specific uh, objectives that I believe I can actually achieve. And and I, th I think that's really important because as a platoon commander, if you, if you go out into you know Afghanistan, Yes, you're going to get an objective given to you, but it tends, I would say it was a more of a, 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 a bigger picture objective. And then the platoon commander on the ground has to make the decision of what they're going to do, what they need to do to achieve that bigger picture. So it might be in round one of your campaign. Yes, we're secure in this city, but actually I haven't got the support points to go in and do a, a, a massive, strong, um, sort of strong arm the Taliban out and, and clear it. So actually what I might do is set up some sniper posts or some observation posts, or I might just go in and set up a checkpoint because that starts the ball rolling in terms of securing the city. So again, it's all part of that narrative, but it's about trying to be wise about how you use your lists, whether it's your platoon, your support list or your objective list. So you're tying it all in together to try to be successful. So that's what, what I was going for. Um, so again, some people might not enjoy thinking that much over a war game. But, um, the idea was was to try to make people think um, and to, to get them uh, enjoying that process. Um, yeah, did, did you want me to go back and talk about that? Yeah, so yeah, let's start start going about like the first expansion of special forces. Um, so what were you trying to capture by introducing that? So I, I think one of the main reasons we, we did Special Forces first was because it's actually a very popular um, topic, for want of a better phrase. People like to play with it Special Forces. Models, oh, well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, it does, but it also, I think, uh, it was a, another way to take the game, um, which I think eventually would have happened anyway. Um, but obviously, you know, out in Afghanistan and out in a lot of uh, these theatres in, in, in the modern day, special forces are used and so i thought it was important to uh include that element within the game um so yeah i think it i suppose i don't really look at the special forces supplement as a, a standalone supplement i see it as part of uh the contact front library and every book that we put in there just enriches the game that much more um currently we're play testing um contact front chechnya which is going to look at the chechen wars um and again my play testers some of the comments that have come back is this is great i've got this special rule here in this chechnya book which oh, i think i could use for playing this conflict in a different period of time so each each i think supplement brings with it its own special rules various other um, bits and pieces also the army lists are there as well and so each time you're getting a little bit more that you have in your, your toolbox which you can then use to put on uh, the games that you want to play and i think that's really what i'm trying to do with contact front is it doesn't have to be prescriptive um to people i think it's about giving them a, a toolbox that they can then use to create the games that they want to and it's why when you read through the rules like you say there are some vague parts because it's again if people don't want to play that particular rule or don't think that quite works and they can do it slightly better, why not let them, you know, um, if it works for them and they enjoy it more that way, then let them, um, obviously within the rules itself, there are core mechanics and like, you know, to, to play the game, you kind of have to go with those, but there are some rules that are very vague. Um, and, uh, myself and Martin, who, who helps me write quite a lot of it, 
Um, we've played quite a few live games on our on Facebook group um, using Facebook Live. And quite often we'll sit there and go, oh, you know, what do you think about that? Oh, well, it's good cover there. And yeah, I, I think we should, you know, be looking to roll on this or whatever it might be. And I think that also adds to it as well. It's, um, you know, we, we kind of, again, tailor the game to, to fit the narrative that we're playing. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's well, enjoyable. What I liked about, um, I think this should be pointed out in the combat rules, you very effectively did the uh, stack and enter a room. So like your mm. rules for doing that, like how to set up outside a door. And yeah. those are one of those flavor rules that really captures like the visual aspect of like, um, especially urban operations in like Iraq mm. and Afghanistan. Cause um, I live in New Mexico, but over in Arizona, like the Marine Corps built a whole like little yeah. town just to practice. And we yeah. had how to enter a room. Um, and I, I do like this. Now, I haven't gotten your special forces, but do you have horses in there? Yes. Okay. It, it's funny because when I when I was a cadet, the thing that was always sold to us was Joint Vision 2010. And it was right. pictures of like um, amphibious craft and M1 tanks and tilt rotor <laughs> vehicles and like the little lightning bolts to show like, yeah. you know, uh, edge networking that was going to go on. And like, Right after I graduate, he's like, what's the tip of the spear? It's a guy with like a radio on a horse. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't I don't think this is in the vision, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and, and that's the thing is, uh, you know, we we wanted to do um, – we I wanted to avoid the Hollywood idea of special forces because I think for me it sort of ruins it. You know, I, I don't want a team of four guys – killing 100 people on the board and, and walking away without a scratch it, to me it's, it's it's a boring game i don't want to be that player who's you know throwing loads of forces at you and i can't touch you um so i think for me it was these guys are real guys at the end of the day they, they do bleed um and and it can go wrong they, they put themselves in some extraordinary situations yes they've got specialist training um, yes sometimes they've got specialist equipment but they're still human, you know, they're not superhuman. The one thing that we did really work on with special forces is what makes them different, what makes them better without making them superhuman. Uh, and so for me, it was uh, their reactions. They're trained to react quicker. So we, um, not to give too much away, but in the, in the core rules, uh, your units um, have two orders per turn. So I activate a squad. Uh, they can do two things. They can move and shoot. They could shoot twice. They could move twice. With the special forces, they can they get three actions. So you, uh, but you can only do uh, a type of action twice. So you can't do three rounds of shooting or three rounds of moving because that's superhuman in this way. But what you could do is you could move, then shoot, then move again. Which again is that that training that special force get, you know, actually I'm not just going to move and shoot, but I'm going to move, shoot and then get into cover. Um, or I'm going to move to a position and then put down weight of fire. Um, and so again, it was, it was trying to think about, um, to not, uh, not a complete simulation of, of reality, but to represent it. Um, and, and I think we've done quite a good job. The special forces by no means, are a guaranteed win uh, and uh, you can watch it you can ask anybody that's watched me play special forces uh, i think i've lost every game except for one um because if you don't get the tactics right it doesn't work and and for me i know i've got a list pretty close to being the best i can when uh if you don't play the right tactics you, you struggle to win uh, i think i think that's a good sign but i'll leave that to people to decide on that <laughs> So when you so when you started push when you, you push into Chechnya and you on the Cantac front Facebook page you put out a little post saying like okay we're yep. gonna go into Chechnya next is that first or second Chechnya uh, first, first first Chechnya war where were you thinking about tweaking the game to get more of the flavor of like what Chechnya was like then and like how to deal with that yeah Versus so like I mean, Afghanistan. Yeah, and, and, and this really, you know, covers every supplement we're going to do. Um, so for me, there's many things that you, you many ways you can add that um, flavor, and it is about the flavor. For me, the army list is important, um, particularly because with the army list comes the support list. So you can tailor that uh, in terms of 
the equipment they had, the availability of equipment. So if it's not particularly available, of course, it costs more in support points if it's very available. Um, then it might cost less uh, in support points. Also with the army list, you get the objectives list, and that's where we really add a lot of the flavor because you can set objectives to suit what, what was being done. Um, so with the Chechen rebels list, we've really looked at that and thought about what is it that the Chechens did to try combat the Russian um, invasion and, and, and the fighting there. And then we've made those objectives. Um, and, and similarly with the special rules as well, we add the flavor. So certain special rules, um, we've got a fantastic one, uh, which it works for the Chechens. But basically what they used to do um, is they'd get on the radios and they would uh, speak Russian over the, the comms to the Russians, which often confused them, uh, which uh, you know, didn't completely win the war for them, uh, but it certainly helped to uh, hinder the Russians. And so we, we've, we've tried to create a special rule that in a way represents that. And, and it doesn't, again, throw the game massively, but it's just enough to, to give the Chechens a little bit of an, a, an edge. Um, a bit like, again, we do with the Taliban, you know, they've got the secret, uh, the tunnel entrances. Oh, that's something different. You know, we've got the suicide bombs again. It's the, it's the flavor, but it gives them a slight edge. Um, so we're also currently writing uh, the Afghan supplement, which will, uh, build on what we did in the core rules and actually go and look at the later part of the war as well. And, and actually the invasion as well, we've decided to do the supplement to, to, in case the the whole uh, of the the conflict up to about ooh, 2016, I think we're roughly going. Because um, again, with Contact Front, what I wanted to do was write a historical set of rules. So looking at the modern period as history, not ultra modern, which is currently happening and big what ifs. Everything I wanted to write for Contact Front was looking at it from a historical point of view. Well. Let, so let me ask you, I've noticed that some games do this when they do like the modern war gaming. And I remember a time when like what you're talking about historical was considered ultra, <laughs> ultra <laughs> modern. Um, but this, this is kind of a joke, but uh, any plans to introduce zombies or aliens and lasers? Well, it's, funny <laughs> that's... That. it's funny you should say that because actually I, I am, uh, I have got a set of rules uh, or sorry, I've, I've, I've done a supplement. Um, it's still in the development stage and I still got to get it through play testing, but uh, I have written a sort of sci-fi version, um, which uh, I don't know whether I can say this without some copyright infringement. Basically I, I really like the, the TV series and the film Stargate. So I wanted a set of uh, rules which allowed me to play that. Now, you, you can't get the rights from MGM um, or whoever's just recently bought them out. Um, but so what I've done is I've created a, a supplement called uh, Contact Front Gate Travelers. And it's the old classic, you know, anything that you can think of from the film. I've just tweaked the names and stuff. Again, I hope that doesn't get me in trouble. But, um, but yeah and, and if it does edit that bit out but yeah it, it again that, that's the sci-fi version um there's also elements within that um within that supplement which will hopefully allow me to do something like zombies in the future because again i'm going to take a list which is a horde list essentially for one of a better phrase and use that for the zombie so yeah we'll we'll see how far it goes i really want to sort of tackle more of the historical stuff to start with but um yeah there are plans for uh, seeing what contact front can do and i was hoping you were a man of principle <laughs> oh i am very much very yeah. much because well, that's what uh what uh skirmish engine they did that they had like a little expansion that had like zombies in there force on force did that when like it's like i don't know it's like Fonzie on the bike jumping the shark right there. Like, what are you doing? I, no, there's there's so much more yeah. out there. I, I think you have to remember that uh, actually in terms of numbers of players, historicals don't have as many players as, say, sci-fi and, 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 and fancy, that sort of stuff. So sometimes you have to just think, all right, how do we, we get a few more over to our side? Well, <laughs> when we gather later to drink the claret, we'll, we'll puff our chest and say, can you Absolutely. Well, excellent um so i think on your facebook you talked about uh play testing so when you go forward how big of an issue is play testing um 
for you as you start experimenting with different zones there? Yeah, so playtesting, <laughs> I've been told by lots of people, playtesting is hugely important. Um, and, and often you find the games that haven't been playtested very well fall apart quite quickly uh, or, or, or certainly get picked up by people quite quickly in terms of it not working like it should. Um, so I was very conscious of that when I started. Um, I, I I don't think I did nearly enough playtesting the first time around. I like to think the Special Forces we playtested a lot more. Um, and uh, certainly that was very beneficial. Um, it's, it's tricky because um, if you... I don't know, you take something like um, Bolt Action, for example. Lots of people play it. So when you want to write a supplement for Bolt Action, you've got a big pool of players that you can die, go to to, um, to play test new things for you. And, and they know the rules. With Contact Front, it was a bit trickier because uh, when I first wrote the rules, nobody knew them but me. So um, I had to get them to a stage where I could hand them out and people could go away and play them um without me standing there telling them and that in itself is a test um if you if you give a set of rules out and people can't play the game clearly it's not written well enough so that was very scary i have to say <laughs> that was a big scary part for me um but moving forward we have got a, a player pool now um and a community that's building and growing so i think it's easier now um but it's about finding the right people who have the experience of playing the game who know it pretty well but also understand the kind of ethos that we were going for with contact front in terms that you know we're not trying to create a tournament game we are trying to create a narrative-based game we're trying to um uh, you know have these army lists but have the flavor in them um we're not trying to uh create massive bucket bucket loads of dice when we're when we're trying to attack you know we would again it's trying to keep within the the kind of the, the core mechanics there and, and but take it forward. So uh, yeah, I have, um, we, we had a nice uh, group of play testers. Um, one or two, I think have had to drop out for various reasons, uh, all, all, all very legitimate. And um, so it's sort of a case of, right, well, let's bring on some fresh people as well to, to, to add to the group. Um, and, I, and I always think it's good to do that because you get different people with different perspectives and, um, especially if you've got people who have the time and ability to to play games and play lots of games, that's very beneficial as well. Unfortunately, um, having, having had a, a baby born in September, 15 weeks premature, we it's been uh, time is not one of those things I've had the luxury of recently. So um, I, I fit in what I can. And uh, certainly when I start getting back to the club, um, I'll be able to take you know the game with me and um there's lots of people at the club who who enjoy playing it so that's quite beneficial but yeah it's, <laughs> it's life life gets in the way sometimes <laughs> oh, excellent so before we wrap up this episode is there anything else you want to add or let people um come aware of um i mean i i, I suppose I, I try not to put too many spoilers out as to what's to come but um I, I can I can admit um, or, or announce that you know we we have got Chechnya is in the works. Um, I'm hoping that's the next one that's going to come out, um, followed fairly shortly after by Afghanistan, um, which I'm really excited about. We were before COVID really hoping to get um, sort of I think around April time next year we were hoping to get um, a supplement about with the Falkland War. Um, 1982 Falklands War out uh, to mark the anniversary of that. Um, I don't think uh, I, I don't I can't say now just because everything's been pushed back because of COVID um, and the amount of time I've got I, I couldn't couldn't promise that we're going to get that out. But I will say that that has the work has definitely started on that and we have had some play testing going on from that as well. So that's uh, an exciting one which I don't think many people have looked at in terms of writing rules for the Falklands War. Um, another one that uh, I have been working on quite a bit, uh, which I think I've hinted at quite a lot on the Facebook group, and I don't know how many people have picked up on it, but I am working on a Vietnam supplement. Uh, Heard which about I think, that? Yes. Yeah, I think Vietnam's I think super it will be, hot this season. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't think I'm going to be getting on on the same on the bandwagon. Uh, I mean, I know um, uh, Warwick uh, can 
fucking oh, I'm going to get his surname wrong, so I'm not going to mention it. Uh, but Warwick, who wrote Battle Group, uh, he's uh, bringing out Nam 68, which uh, looks like a very good game. Um, it's different scale to uh, in terms of um, it's more of a squad based game, I think, uh, from what I've seen. Um, I think you might have a platoon, but generally speaking, you game you're gaming with a squad of guys. Um, that's coming out, or is is on its way imminently out. Um, so that that'll be a very exciting one. Um, I can't remember who else has done Nam rules recently, but um, I, I, it is it is popular. I'm I'm just hoping it's still popular when I bring the supplement out. <laughs> we'll see what happens well, there. I mean, we can't forget the first Indochina War. I mean that uh, forty five to DNBN Fu that oh, that is super neglected. Yeah, and and scrimmage. and I'm 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 still very much debating on whether to put in a few lists for that and and have special rules for that because it is part of the Vietnam conflict in a way. It's not not the U.S. Vietnam conflict, but it is. It, it does build up. Uh, you know, and certainly what happens in that period um, has a knock-on impact in terms of you know the, the rise of communism in Vietnam. So I. I don't know. I'm, I'm still debating on that. How thick this PDF is going to be? I don't know. Um, I, I, I look at it and say, if you want a conflict of where paratroopers actually jump into jungles um, <laughs> for counterinsurgency operations, you pretty much have. Well, the big ones are Rhodesia and the French in Indochina. A little bit in Algeria. So it's I was like, say, I mean, I'm, like how to drop guy drop sticks into the jungle? Yeah. I mean. What what could be crazier than that? Well, SAS jumping into Borneo didn't go too well, but they did jump in. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, um, but that's another period that I'd like to look at. Is you know the sort of um, that uh, I forget the name of the the, the, the uh, conflict down there, but basically the British invade, uh, not invasion, sorry, the the uh, intervention in Borneo um, against communist guerrillas. I think that could be quite an interesting little supplement. Uh, so you know that's sort of again sitting in the pipeline. Um, there's uh, to be honest lots of people have said well would you do this would you do that and the answer is well yes probably um uh one of our play testers uh, said to, well one, one of my play testers said to me oh uh, you know I've, I've done some uh modifications to do a late world war one version of contact front so who knows what happens in the future <laughs> maybe we'll go that far back i don't know but um you know yeah it's a bit of a open book at the moment we'll just see what comes along what interests me and uh you know see what we can do with it well that sounds outstanding well thank you for joining us uh for this episode there um and i hope to have you on in uh the future appreciate it. yeah no thanks for having me and then, you know if anybody is interested do go over to facebook and check out the, the facebook page um and if anybody's interested in the rules in the uk elheim miniatures has it uh and uh, in the states gods are games website uh, is a good place to go so uh Hope you don't mind that shameless plug, but <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for joining us at Miniature Wargaming Labs, and we'll see you next time.